You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let us pray. God, our Creator, when you speak, there is light and life. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may listen to one another, speak the truth in love, and bear much fruit in the service of your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, welcome. Glad to have you all here. Um, John and I are kind of excited about doing something, uh, and we decided that uh, doing a look um, through Lent, which is something we talked about a few years ago, and the uh, opportunity was there for us to have a seven-week period of time, or six weeks, and so uh, we wanted to take advantage of it, and, and Gil wanted us to take advantage of it, so we're here um, and uh, plan to work through the readings. Now, um, most of the time we'll be following year A, which is what we're in right now, but there will be some times where even though the stories and whatnot may be similar just the way it's uh, written and worded, uh, the narrative or the lesson, uh, whether it be the epistle or the Old Testament reading or even the gospel, we may be using year B or year C. So primarily, uh, so uh, hopefully a lot of times we won't be do- replicating the sermon that you may have just heard if you've gone to 9 o'clock or we'll be hearing afterwards, but uh, hopefully there'll be a little something different for uh, each of us and whether we uh, um, go there or not. But um, anyway... I'm going to start this week with uh, going through the Transfiguration, mainly because, to me, that's the beginning of how we flow into Lent. We always have uh, the last, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the last reading in Epiphany, the last lessons are always the Transfiguration. It's the last Sunday in Epiphany, regardless of how many. Uh, Sundays we have during that period of time. But to me, uh, that's kind of where we begin. So I'm going to be reading some, and I'm going to be bouncing around a lot. But um, I wanted to start with the reading from Exodus where um, Moses is. And so we'll be Exodus um, chapter 24, verses 12 through 18. Exodus, like book 2 and chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Ur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. 
Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Now, and jumping a little bit, this isn't part of the reading, but it's in Exodus 34. I think it's a reading from a different year uh, than A. But it talks about Moses when he's up there, his skin got so bright that it was difficult for the people. When he came down off the mountain, he spoke to them with his face uncovered so that it was as if God was speaking to the people. And after he had delivered the message God had for the people, the people covered Moses' face with a veil. And then when he went up again, he took the veil off. When he came back down, he didn't put it back on until he spoke again. Now, the illumination that Moses was getting, uh, you know, if you think about it, the cloud and the glory of God was like a fire. And you think about a suntan, particularly the first part of the spring year, a lot of us will be beet red, and there will be definitely a lot of people that go to the beach during spring break or right after school gets out that will come back and they'll be red and red. This was more so. It may not have been a, uh, uh, anything greater than that, but the, the brightness that came from Moses' head was from the fire. It was outside of him. It was an external um, illumination. And then going over to uh, Matthew 17, which is where... Somebody was laughing at me. I have my ribbons. In chapter 17 of Matthew's Gospel, verses 1 through 9, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their face and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And they were coming down the mountain. Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And then, and I want to look uh, over in Luke, just um, make sure I come to the right place. Luke 9 in the Transfiguration. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. That departure has to do with his death and resurrection. You know, whether he went straight from the transfiguration 
that final trip to Jerusalem or not is not as important, but they were talking about Jesus' death and then his resurrection because if you'll think about it, neither Moses or Elijah, Elijah didn't die, he went up on a chariot. Moses went up on the mountain and died and was buried by God, which is a little different than the way this death would normally occur. So we have the two men that represent the law and the prophets, and both of them, I won't say disappeared, but left in a way that was unusual the way people did. So they're talking about his death because also Elijah was viewed as coming back in a time that designated that the Messiah was here and coming. Now, he uh, would have been, you know, this is the marker. They're here, they're saying he's coming back. Now, at Jesus' baptism, when the dove came down and the Spirit of God came down, what was said? This is my Son, whom I'm well pleased with. This time, not that at the baptism, it's the same thing, but it's added. Listen to Him. So we're supposed to listen and hear what Christ... He's telling them that this is important. And then in Second Peter, which would have been the epistle reading for the Transfiguration, Peter talks about being there. You know, a lot of things that we get in the Bible, whether it, one of the Gospel writers wrote or even in Acts, it's a matter of what people heard. But this was something they saw. You know, a lot of times when there's a vision, the only person that has the vision is the person having it. There are not others there. They were there. They saw it. They saw Elijah and Moses with Christ. So he is saying, we know this, there we listen. And so that gets us leading in now to looking at Lent, which the readings, and we'll start with, and those of you that were in the earlier service, sorry, you get to hear it again, but uh, that's not all bad. Excuse me, I've got all these ribbons. Okay. L- looking at Genesis 2, verses 16 through 18. When you get your note pages out of order, it hurts. Um, Genesis, go ahead, read it. You have it. You're in good shape. Here, I'll practice. I got a reading at eleven. Here, come over closer. The reading from the book of Genesis. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, "You may surely eat of every tree of the garden." But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God hath made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, 
But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Thank you. This is where, if you will, the harmony that existed between God and Adam and Eve was lost. It's where sin came in. And it's, it's the... God told them in chapter 2, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Now what was Eve's reply to Satan? You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Adding to it. (laughs) A lot of times we see uh, the Pharisees and, and the ones even before them, they added to the law. They made things up that uh, made it a little tougher. But, and as uh, I think Matt mentioned, we're not supposed to add to the Word of God, even little things like don't touch. Now, sometimes, you know, when you do transgress like here, uh, sometimes you're looking for an instant pleasure. Well, you know, the Satan kind of led her astray, the snake did. And, um, yeah, that tree looks, that fruit looks pretty good. I kind of like to taste that apple. Um, that's how we kind of see it, whether it was an apple or not on that tree, we don't know, obviously, but it was, um, it was there. And it was a matter of trying it is to get instant pleasure. You know, it's not really bad. You know, and I thought here, uh, doing something, a lot of times it's just, oh, don't do it. Well, when you're a kid, how many times did we do something our parents told, don't do? And I always remember this one. And I was trying to look. I don't see it. Ah, electrical plug there. Always tell, oh, don't get there. Don't stick anything in it. Well, guess what? I found one of my mother's bobby pins, and it smarts. It smarts. But it was, I was told not to, and I wanted to know what happened. So sometimes, you know, just telling them. Or, you know, thinking about a diabetic. This isn't really a sin, but here again, eating something. You know, diabetics have to watch what they eat. And sometimes uh, if you're with them, let's say you're just out eating and you order dessert and they don't. And they go, well, you know, I've eaten pretty good this week. What's a little ice cream? What's a little cake going to do? What's a little cake icing? that We always know icing is the sweeter part. Going to do? Well, one time it may not do much to the diabetic, but a continued practice of that 
takes them to where they may have to have an insulin pump just instead of watching it with their diet. But it's that temptation that's in front of them. And then the death here that's talked about is really separation from God. You know, the Satan is saying you won't die thinking in the sense that you'll just fall over uh, and not be breathing anymore. No, this is really separating from God not being able to commune with Him as you should. You know, sin, obedience gives way to rebellion. You know, am I wanting to stick the bobby pin in the electrical socket? That was rebellion. Simple as that. Uh, openness gives way to shame. You know, their nakedness they wanted to hide. They saw themselves different. They realized something wasn't right. They had done something. And so they became ashamed. God challenged them on it. You know, their responsibility gives way to guilt, shifting the blame. You know, Adam, God spoke to Adam first. What did he do? He pointed to Eve. What did Eve do? She talked about the snake. Shifting that blame. And then, even in Cain and Abel, you know, Cain was, his offering was just, here's some of stuff from my garden. Whereas Abel gave the unblemished lamb. God appreciated the gift of what Abel gave. Cain's, he didn't. Cain was upset. Cain killed him. Then God comes and asks Cain where Abel was. Oh no. He's starting to shift blame. He's not accepting what he did. He's getting away. And then a lot of us can probably remember Flip Wilson and his routine. Devil made me do it. You know, it, it was funny to listen, but you know, he made a good act out of it. Got a lot of mileage out of that. But he was shifting blame even in it. You know, freedom gives way to bondage. You know, you lose that freedom. You know, they could do anything they wanted in the garden. But now, they're bound with that guilt. They being us. And the sin, as we know, uh, and as Christ talked about it, is more than just the action. It's more than just eating the fruit. It's more than just killing somebody. As we say in the prayers that we've committed by thought, word, and deed. So regardless how we might want to say it, you know, well, I didn't actually kill him. I just thought about it. You know, Christ tells us, no, yeah, you did. Um, I was talking to my buddy about this. You know, that's the way some of these... Guys that uh, they've arrested that have um, planned mass killings and whatnot, they posted stuff on the Internet. Well, everybody posts stuff on the Internet. But these words have a little bit more meaning. And so you have to be careful and not think that just because I thought it, just because I said it, no harm, no foul. Now with Adam... Adam's sin 
we're all. You know, it talks about in places that the sins of the Father go to generation after generation. Well, you know, in this case, Adam's sin, Father of us all, just still there with us. And now being in Christ, there's a new Adam who was born as a gift of grace, gives us freedom to live again, which gets us over to Romans, which is... Shannon Lisenby was laughing at me. This would have been dread too, as opposed to the other red. Uh, but looking at Romans 5, verses 12 through 19... Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Adam violated a specific command. But the free gift, starting back at 15, is not like the trespass. For if any died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace of that man, Jesus Christ, unbound for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, sinning many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Adam disobeyed, Christ obeyed. You know, sin was in the world before the Mosaic law. You know, here again, Cain's response after killing Abel. He knew. He went and hid. He knew he had done something wrong. You know, there's a moral compass sometimes we talk about. They knew what was right and wrong. They just didn't have the laws written on the tablet, if you will, that told them that's where they had transgressed and where they weren't. Then, going over to, back to Matthew 4, which here again we would have heard, uh, the temptation of Christ. When Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the, every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put 
the Lord your God to rest. And the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I give to you, if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and were ministering to him. You know, this is after Jesus was baptized, and we had the reading about, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then he goes out into the wilderness. And, you know, tempted here in the Greek can mean tested. You know, Jesus was, even during the 40 days before we get to this coming out of the wilderness, Christ was being tempted. Jesus was out there communing with God, if you will, because His ministry was about to begin. And during this period of time, the temptation could have been like, hey, from Satan, you know, you ain't got to go through all this. You know what's going to happen in the end. Do you want to die like that? You know, that may be an oversimplification, but he was challenged, Christ was, while he was out there. You know, a lot of times when you're about to do something, what's one of the best things you can do is, you know, for me and probably a lot of us, you got to find a quiet corner somewhere just to get rid of the noise, so to speak. You know, you can have your friends, your family tell you, here's what you need to do, but sometimes you just need to sit down, kneel down, and have that prayer with God so you can separate out all of that stuff. So Christ is out there trying to get the start. Here's the way I need to go about my ministry. You know, a lot of times we can have a thought maybe of something, here's how I've got to do, and it may not have anything to do spiritually, but just, say, with your work or something you need to do dealing with, you know, a friend or something or a family, is what's the best way to approach this? Well, here again, time with prayer. You know, starting your day with prayer, ending your day with prayer, but just get something to give you some clarity that you spend alone. You know, outside of prayer, there are two places where I can kind of spend time to, to get my thoughts and one of them is like everybody else is starting your day with prayer and some devotion. Also, a lot of times in my workouts, yeah, running, I'm running by myself. Yeah, you might see things, you might hear things, but clarity can come. That's what he was going about. And, you know, as he goes about it, you know, he, Jesus could have had the opportunity to step aside and not be there. Um, but Christ was going through these temptations. And in Hebrews, the writer tells us, and don't need to go, it's just one verse or two different chapters. Therefore, um, verse 18, uh, for because of him, because he himself has suffered, when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He knew what we were going through. And then again in chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 15. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. He did not succumb to that. Now, when Satan said, you know, make these stones become bread, well, you know, if somebody started giving you food every day, you come to expect it. You probably want to know, okay, I'm tired of eating bread. What are you going to bring me now? It's almost like bribing you to have you believed in. You know, look to me. I'll see that you get bread every day. Well, I'm tired of bread. Can I have something else? It's always wanting more. But So Christ responded with the Word of God, just man shall not live by bread alone, but by the Word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the second one. He took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Both of these are from Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. And we've got Satan quoting Scripture, which gets me to something that (laughs) Shakespeare knew this. And this is something I keep with me uh, because when I'm doing a class or something like this or teaching somewhere, it reminds me to be careful. But this is from the Merchant of Venice. The devil can cite Scripture for his purpose. An evil soul producing holy witness is like a villain with a smiling cheek, a goodly apple rotten at the heart. Oh, what a goodly outside falsehood hath. The devil's quoting Scripture to get Jesus to try to succumb. And the, t- the pinnacle of the temple was like 450 feet above the valley. It's the sheer wall. And so to jump off of that, it'd take a miracle to save you. You know, jumping down 450 feet, it would be something. And, you know, I thought about circus acts here. Okay, after you've seen a circus act once or twice, you want to see them do something more. So if people had seen this, heard about it, you know, after he did it two or three times, it's going, that's old school. We've seen that. You know, we're not going to believe in you. We need something more and greater and bigger this time. You can't convince people to follow you by just doing circus acts, so to speak. It's more than that. Um, then, for the third one, He takes him up on the mountain and he looks out and he says to him, Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, all these things I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written. And finish out. Everything had been promised to Jesus. He already had it. 
Now in Psalm 2, uh, verse 8, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. Christ already had them. Satan was going to give him something that was already his. Now, here it's yours, but you got to worship me. Then do what God your Father wants you to do. To go through that horrific death. You don't want to do that. You know... And, you know, he's, he being Christ is telling them, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6, 16. You know, quit testing God. And then he tells him to be gone. Get out of here. You know, just like he said to Peter when Peter was trying to convince uh, Christ he didn't need to go to the cross, he needed to stay with them. What did he say to Peter? Be gone, Satan. Get behind me. He's telling Satan straight to his face. Get behind me. Get out of here. And then um, the devil left him. And the angels came and were ministering to him. He got food. You know, so our choice in listening to this with the temptation is do we want immediate satisfaction or do we want eternal life? And with eternal life, we have to believe, not with tricks, but with faith. And believing that Christ and in His death was everything God had for us. Any thoughts, questions, comments? John will be glad to answer them. <laughs> John will answer the questions, right? <laughs> Just one. Yes, ma'am. <clears throat> when... Um, when Eve uh, said what she did to Satan, uh, and she added to it. We, uh, the thing is, when God gave the law to Adam, Eve had not been taken from Adam's rib. So we don't know what Adam would have told Eve. He could have told it to her crooked. And so she repeated it crooked. Okay. Well, an alternative explanation might be that a lot of times little kids, when you give them a, a clear commandment to do something or not to do something, they will embellish it. You know, they'll they'll add to it even more because their their minds are constantly making up stories. Uh, you, you see that all the time with little kids, and and, and their 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 sensibility in, in this state is is kind of childlike. Uh, you know, after they actually. Eat the fruit. But, uh, yeah. Martin. Oh, I was just saying, and, and, and big kids. Out oh, yeah. <laughs> John. That's, that, that's possible to be, but Adam made the decision. He knew it was wrong. And he made that decision. He made bad decisions. Right. And while she was standing there with the apple, whatever the fruit was, eating it, he was standing right there with it. I mean, he could have corrected her then. Right. Said, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, yeah, it's easy. It's, here again, it's the instant satisfaction of being able to test this, what appears to be special fruit that looks edible. I love the man's reaction, too. God says, what have you done? And the man says, well, the woman that you gave me <laughs> told me to do it, so I did it. I was, you know, that's sort of that passive-aggressive sort of big kid, as Martin said, uh, response that we're all familiar with. Mm -hmm. I still just paid. 
Well, next week, we'll continue, and you're talking about... Counted as righteousness. Good topic. So it'll be fun. So, thank y'all. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.